and gentlemen, welcome to Mercatus Radio, our inaugural podcast, episode one. I'm joined here in studio with Kevin Glenn at the soundboard and our very own senior director of marketing, Mark Fairhurst. Hello, everyone. It's uh, great to be here, and uh, we hope you enjoy this uh, very first podcast from Mercatus Radio. Now, I'm the host, Sylvain Perrier, president and CEO of Mercatus Technologies. Mark, we have what I would say is an amazing subject to tackle today. Absolutely. And that is the growing threats mm-hmm. to uh, the traditional grocery retailers out there in the market. And I think you know from our own experience from talking to a myriad of the executives that are out there from small traditional grocery retailers to extremely large boxes, it's kind of a fearful time with everything that's happening in the space. It is such a dynamic marketplace. There's not a day that goes by that there isn't some nugget of news dropping. It's amazing. Yeah, if it's not Instacart, it's it's somebody being bought, whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Canada, whether it's overseas. And yeah. that, that landscape is not only shifting here in our very own backyard, but it's actually happening in Europe and overseas, which has a ripple effect, quite frankly, in everything that's happening in the supply chain to what consumers can do and can't do and so on. So this is an exciting time to be doing what we do here at Mercatus. We're going to go really deep on this subject and to help us out, this is where I'm super pumped. We've brought in this expert in the space. He's dialed in right now. He's coming live from Dallas, Texas, which is amazing. Uh, his name is Britton Ladd. Now, I got—I have to admit to everyone that's listening, uh, whether you're in your car or you're at home or somewhere else, the first time I heard of this gentleman, I was in Las Vegas. And you know what they say about Las Vegas. Mark, Mark, <laughs> Mark, says, you, Mark says you lose a month. Hopefully my wife's not listening. <laughs> but I was at, uh, I was at Shop Talk. Mm-hmm. And Shop Talk was was a, an amazing event because there was it was the who's who in retail it was the who's who in e-commerce coming together and I remember distinctly I was I was sitting down in the grocery track I couldn't get a seat I had to sit on the side of the wall on the floor and there's a retail executive uh, comes over to me and says uh, did you read that article on LinkedIn about the Trojan horse and I'm like what you mean like the Trojan horse or do you mean like something more pertaining to retail? And he goes, yeah, about, about Instacart. I go, no, I haven't, I haven't seen the article. And he passes over his phone. I read the article and it was, it's Britain wrote the article and yeah. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And then Mark arranged to connect us. Yeah, no, he was, he was great. He, he was great. He was super responsive and reaching out to him. Yeah. And he's an independent consultant. He's a brilliant strategist when it comes to technology and retail and all things e-commerce and CPG. We have him on the phone today, and welcome, uh, Britton Ladd. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really excited to have you part of our podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Perfect. So we know today that it's it's fairly clear that the grocery retail industry is going through some tremendous seismic waves that is causing concern amongst the retail executives that are out there not necessarily sure what to do, not necessarily sure to react. Can you share with us and our audience, what are some of these threats that that you're seeing? You know, in all honesty, the threats are many. It's not just one one or two things. The thing that I find so interesting is that most of the press talks about Amazon and Whole Foods. And then you may read stories about Walmart and their expansion. But the thing that I really believe is a threat the most 
is the number of retailers who really don't have a solid strategy and the number of retailers who really don't understand what's taking place in terms of advancements in technology, what's really happening in terms of changing consumer behavior. And I find an awful lot of executives are having knee-jerk reactions instead of really being able to say, this is who we are, this is why we're here, these are our customers, and this is what we're going to do to be able to meet their needs. Now, certainly, Amazon is a threat. Walmart is a threat. Those things are all true, but I think it really belongs at the CEO level for them to understand what's going on in their industry, and I'm convinced a lot of executives still just don't realize all the changes taking place. Yeah, no, it's it, interesting you say that, and I've always you know, because of what we do at Mercatus providing, you know, e-commerce solutions to the grocery retail space, I've always pondered what is driving this lack of preparedness. And I've contemplated, is it because where they grew up in the organization? Maybe they've been at the organization for a long time. Maybe it's because they're used to running a brick and mortar operation and then kind of having a, a shifting over to doing a, a dual strategy or to doing e-commerce. Why do you think that's the case? Why are they not ready? Well, in, in all honesty, much of what you said is the primary reason. A lot of the executives today have grown up in a traditional brick-and-mortar retailer. They're new to the e-commerce game. And in my business, what I have discovered when I have visited grocery retailers globally, an awful lot of executives will say to me, well, we're digital. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Why don't you walk me through what digital is? And what they start to talk about are things you can touch, as if digital is something you can touch. And really, digital is a mindset change. Digital is an understanding that your business must operate differently. Now, certainly, you have to have the right tools and platform to do that. But you need to have an understanding that to be digital means to be transformational in how you operate today. The other thing that, that I've certainly noticed is that an awful lot of executives spend an awful lot of time focused within their four walls only. They don't look at what does Amazon do? What, does, what do other retailers do? What does General Motors do? What does Tesla do? What does Boeing do? These, these executives are very insular in their thinking and they have lost that ability and many of them never had the ability to really look across industries to learn what are these other executives doing within their companies. Um, that to me are the things that I've noticed. Excellent. So if you, if you had to, and maybe you have a time machine, I'm not sure, but if you, <laughs> and if it'd be amazing, like you should be sharing it with us right now, but if you could fast forward into the future and look at a successful retailer that truly embodies digital, right? Because what you're talking about is not just having these tangible elements, but it's also having it fundamentally part of your DNA as a retailer. What would that look like? Well, certainly let's address the store level. The store of the future looks much differently than it does today. What I believe is going to happen is that the retailers of the future are truly digital, meaning 
they have the technology within their stores, they have the online platform, they have the apps, they have totally changed how they interact with customers. And more importantly, customers have choice and how they wish to engage with their preferred retailer. That's a fact. But the retailers of the future, what they'll understand is it's not just personalization, it's individualization. It's leveraging data much more intently and intimately than they have than they do today. And even though a lot of a lot of retailers will say, well, we understand data and we leverage data, no, the, the future will look much differently in that the data will truly be able in almost real time help retailers better understand what is actually taking place at this moment. What is really taking place within my stores and online? And how do I adjust the inventory? How do I adjust promotions? How do I generate more sales for a specific product? But going back to what I stated earlier about the store, what I believe the store of the future will look like is this. You walk into the store and you shop by how you live. And what I mean by that is I believe the store of the future will have a section where it's clearly designated, this is breakfast. Then you'll have a section that this is lunch. And then you'll see the store is designed that this is dinner. And then you'll see a design that says, this is for the personal items you need, for the pharmaceuticals that you require. And if you think about it, the store of today is almost exactly what a store looked like in the early 1900s, the 1950s, the 1960s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the 2000s. They have all looked the same. In addition, digital is really something where companies are going to have to have expertise in this. And you'll find that many of those retailers today who convinced themselves they could just do it in-house and they could leverage their homegrown systems and these systems would grow and be able to transition in the coming years, they're going to find they've made a big mistake in doing that. In my business today, a lot of retailers call me in and, they're, and they tell me how they're struggling. Well, they're struggling because they don't have the right talent. They're struggling because they really don't have an ability to build and implement the systems that they require. So you will see many more of the retailers in the future really going from established platforms, off-the-shelf software, and they'll get away from the we build it here mentality to we leverage the expertise that went into this software, and they're not a vendor, they're really a strategic partner. That's what I anticipate. So I really appreciate the comment about the, the we build it mentality. And I want to share with, with the audience out there the Mercatus experience and what we're seeing as being kind of the transition in potentially what could be the future. We are now seeing historically, and what we've seen historically, quite frankly, is the retailers that either want to tackle this themselves or not taking the partnership mentality. And quite frankly, trying to coexist digital personalization very much separate from the in-store experience. And as of late, and when I say as of late, I'm not I'm not talking a generation here. I will say within the last 12 months, quite easily, we are seeing retailers that are entering what I like to call retail 3.0, maybe 2.5. And what I mean by 2.5 is they now understand that they have the ability to acquire. 
they are starting to understand that they need to bring in the right people and they are and and the people that they bring in are non-grocery retail related they could be apparel related big box related but deep expertise in the vein in which they're coming in to join the traditional retailer we're equally starting to see context around understanding how to merchandise online very much differently than how they would in their brick and mortar operations and last but not least and this is the the conversation i've had i think in the last two weeks which really caught me off guard was the context of talking about micro personalization and in our world we call it hyper personalization so so you as a consumer very much so when you come in online the technology and the platform understands who you are, what your habits are, so implicit and explicit data, and leveraging it not only to contextualize the data that's being presented to you, but the container. So if you are a bargain shopper, that's what we will only show you and tailor that experience to you. I will tell you three years ago, you could not have those conversations. And that's astonishing to me. Now, in your magic crystal ball that you have in front of you, what is the first step a grocery retailer, an executive can take to really start to make a difference? You know, in all honesty, they need to step back and they need to do an assessment, an honest assessment of how are they organized? What talent do they have in the organization? To be able to, to have an honest discussion of, do we really know who our customers are? Do we know what our customers want? And what type of supply chain do we have? What type of supplier relations do we have? What type of technology platform are we leveraging today? How are we doing things today? First and foremost, for an executive to start making a better decision and what I would really say are the right decisions, they have to really understand where are they starting from? And in my business, what I find is so interesting is the more I talk to executives, especially within grocery retailers, the more I find that there really isn't an understanding of all the things taking place within their company. Grocery retailers, grocery executives have a way of compartmentalizing what the, the CEO will focus on. And other executives have much greater command and control over certain areas. And there's not a lot of discussion taking place so that the CEO has a complete understanding that this is not just my company, but this is my ecosystem. CEOs have their touch points. CEOs have their, their levels of comfort. And that's what they like to focus on. And so what I try and do is get those executives to step out of their comfort zone and gain a much better understanding of what are the facts, what are really the facts within their company. And once they understand the facts, then it's a matter of saying, let us determine what the vision is for how you move forward. And then the other discussion is how do we take this vision and turn it into reality? And along the way, of course, is identifying the steps that have to take place, investments in technology and so forth. How much is shareholder priorities in a publicly traded retailer hampering a CEO from really jumping in headfirst into this? You know, and honestly, I've heard that excuse more times than I can count. 
and the CEOs will say, but Britain, I'm, I'm so tied down with shareholder meetings or Britain, I, I'm under so much pressure from Wall Street that I really don't have the level of comfort to want to make big changes in technology or I'm afraid to say we don't want to do it in-house because we're going to bring in something off the shelf or we're going to make a dramatic change in our supply chain. So what happens is there's a level of paralysis within the grocery industry where executives are stuck. They want to stay within their comfort zone because they're so risk averse. And so even though shareholders and publicly traded companies absolutely want to see performance from grocery retailers, history proves that grocery retailers actually have trended down in what their stock levels have done and growth in those businesses. And so I don't believe that is a, a legitimate excuse. If anything, I think that now is the perfect time for CEOs to say, look at what we have out there. We can reduce cost complexity within our companies by moving away from we build it here mentality. We can leverage new supply chain technology, new vertical distribution technology from someone like an Ocado or a Takeoff Technologies, other companies that specialize in distribution of grocery products. And the time is now to be going and looking under the hood and really identifying where changes can be made. The worst thing a CEO can do is maintain the status quo. It is absolutely the death knell for, for grocery retailers. That's excellent. So let, let's assume we find a bold and brave CEO who throws caution to the wind, doesn't care what the board thinks. What are the steps that that CEO's organization can take to really survive in this in this space? Well, the, the thing I would say is, is it's really not throwing caution to the wind. The best example to look at is Amazon. Internally at Amazon, they make changes all the time. They enter new categories, new lines of business, and they do so freely, and they do so with confidence. And the executives today really need to say, we can do this. We simply need to have a plan of attack, and we have to really understand the roadmap we need to travel. And so I think first and foremost, Find someone you can speak with. Find someone you can partner with and trust. Find someone who has a level of expertise within the grocery industry across many areas, technology, supply chain, what's going on in changing demographics and so forth. That's the first step. Be able to have that partnership with someone who can help you understand this is how you better engage your customers because no matter what, no matter what a CEO decides to do to reduce costs and complexity and improve the supply chain, what we need them to do is engage customers and get more foot traffic in stores and more traffic to their online website. And so everything that they're working on needs to have those goals in mind. How do we delight customers? How do we provide an exceptional customer experience? And how do we give customers choice to how they interact with us? And in essence, if you're a physical brick and mortar retailer, you wanna become omni-channel. If you're an online only retailer, you absolutely need to have the best 
platform capability so that customers find it very easy to maneuver within the website, order from the website, and feel comfortable ordering groceries online. And of course, the quality of the product has to be there. But to me, it begins with, you can't just say to a retailer, okay, go, okay, Mr. Executive, go change things. They need to really understand where do they have to go, what's the vision, and then how do they turn that vision into a reality. That's excellent advice. So I have two more questions for you. And, and, and you know, I consume everything you write. I'm a big fan. I think the audience probably knows that by now. America versus the UK. I mean, we've heard the arguments that if you're a UK-based retailer, when it comes to e-commerce, you're innovating much and you're five years ahead of their counterparts located in North America. I can tell you at Mercatus, we're, Mark, I mean, we're getting phone calls coming in from the UK, Australia, and New Zealand, and I, I and Asia. I, Asia, and I want to hear from, I want to hear from Britain. Britain, are they really that much ahead of us, or, or have we fully caught up? No, there's, um, I think it's completely false that if we're going to use the UK as an example, that they're ahead of the US. I find no gaps. What happens is that because of the density levels within the UK that has greatly changed their business models. Where I do give the UK an edge is in supply chain technology distribution, but the geographic region that is really leading is Asia, especially in China. There is no doubt to that. And also the thing I wanna point out, and you mentioned the fact that I do a lot of writing. I wrote several months ago that I believe, and I recommended that Walmart divest ASDA. And I made the argument that Walmart needs to divest as to give them more freedom to how they can operate within the UK. From a strategy perspective, I never understood the value of Walmart retaining ASDA. I think they would have been better to acquire Carrefour or simply go after Beckett Renkisser or just leave the European Union completely. So the fact that anyone would say, oh, the UK is miles ahead of the US or years ahead of the US, I just don't see it. And I have done projects for the majority of the companies over there. It's China where I see the biggest innovations. It's South Korea and it is absolutely Japan. The Asian companies are the ones that have brilliantly incorporated robotics, voice activated technology, e-commerce platforms, automation within stores, frankly, to where many of the stores you walk in and there are no people because they really have achieved that level of sophistication where you do not need to have a lot of people within the stores. Um, and in some stores you have no one there. So I would dispute it. There's a big gap. Um, I think that the grocery retailers in the UK and Australia and these other places, they need to just simply look to the US as saying, they're absolutely who we should be looking at in terms of technology. We can feel comfortable buying from companies in the U.S. They're not behind at all. That's great. Now, you mentioned Walmart. And I have to ask you, <laughs> who? and yeah, this, is, this is a bit of a loaded question, um, so I'm warning the audience. So who wins between Amazon and Walmart, or are they really playing a separate game at this point? Well... Again, and we'll talk about this, I know, in a future a future podcast. The thing I stress to, to executives is that there's an infinite game and a finite game. And 
the reason why Amazon is winning is they play an infinite game. Their goal is to outlast their competitors. Walmart and other retailers try and beat their competitors. And I think that leads them down the wrong path. So today, if I was going to lay money on who is going to win, it will be Amazon. Because Amazon understands the importance of an ecosystem. Amazon isn't concerned with trying to win at every level and every category in grocery retail. Amazon is putting together an ecosystem that gives them an ability to meet the needs of customers across all demographics and give customers a way to engage with them. That makes it easy for Amazon to sell product. Walmart absolutely has made mistakes over the years. Walmart was too slow to the digital game. And so now Walmart finds themselves in a very dangerous position. And what I wrote several months ago is that under no circumstances can Walmart lose the grocery war to Amazon. And I stress that Walmart should invest in Flipkart, which they're trying to do. But I also gave this warning. Amazon is going to be the first one to recognize the strategic value of Flipkart to Walmart. And I won't be surprised if Amazon at the last minute comes in and makes a bid. And sure enough, today, what happened is that Amazon offered $12 billion to Flipkart. So now Walmart is going to be in a bidding war. And what Amazon is doing to Walmart is what Walmart should have done to Amazon last year. When Amazon announced they were acquiring Whole Foods, Walmart should have made that incredibly painful. Walmart should have come in and said, we'll offer $15 billion for Whole Foods, forcing Amazon to either outbid them or force Amazon to walk away. So what we're going to see in the coming months and year is nothing but one battle after another. But I think Amazon's playing a better strategy. I think Amazon has lured Walmart to India. And I have no doubt that Amazon will do everything to win in India. And as I've stated, in my opinion, if Walmart isn't careful, India will become Walmart's Vietnam to where they become bogged down. They are forced to fight and fight and win one battle and lose a battle and win a battle. But what happens is that Amazon outlasts them because Amazon is playing the infinite game. And Amazon has proved that they don't care what Wall Street says. They don't care what shareholders want. Amazon knows they have to outlast the competition, whereas Walmart, Walmart listens to Wall Street. And the more the drum starts to beat that Walmart is losing money in India, the more the cries will be, it's time for Walmart to pull out. And that's why I believe Walmart has to be incredibly careful. But from a strategy perspective, I think what Amazon is doing is brilliant. They have lured Walmart to India. And I honestly believe that this can turn out to be Walmart's Vietnam. It's just a fact. Ladies and gentlemen, you've actually heard the expert opine right on the matter. That is amazing. Uh, Britton, how do, how do our listeners get a hold of you? The easiest way to reach out to me is simply reach out to me via my LinkedIn profile. I'm always happy to engage with individuals, no matter what the topic is. I'm, I'm grateful that we have LinkedIn and I dearly love interacting with anyone who's interested in grocery retail supply chain digital. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to our inaugural podcast episode, episode one. And join us next time, and it's going to be a 
I, I'm not sure if it's an even juicier subject, but it's certainly something that's incredibly relevant. Uh, we're going to be talking about the M&A activity in the space. Mark, share with our listeners, how do they get a hold of us here at Mercatus? Sure. The easiest way is to go to www.mercatus.com, use the contact form there, or uh, follow us on our social channels that are available at the at the bottom of the website page. Thank you, everyone. I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies. I'm here with Mark Fairhurst, our Senior Director of Marketing. And at the board is our ever amazing sound engineer, Kevin Glenn. Thank you. Mm-hmm.